This is Noise Podcast, and today's guest is Martha Peck, aka Martha Vader. Martha's been working in the industry for a few years now, and is currently working at CBRE. Throughout my career, I've been mainly working solo, so my exposure to best practices have strictly been self-taught. It's going to be great to talk to you two to learn about what you've been taught, because I think you're probably a bit better trained than I am. Arguable. Arguable. <laughs> we'll, we'll get into it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Martha, maybe, maybe talk about yourself a little yeah, bit. Tell us about your sure. past history. Uh, did you go to school? Uh, where you're yeah. at right now? Uh, I'm currently a UI UX designer uh, at CBRE in Seattle, Washington. So I build internal tools for our brokers. Uh, so I, I work in corporate real estate at the moment. Um, and I've only been in the in this industry for a year and a half now. So this is uh, still all very new to me. Uh, yeah, I, I went to school briefly. I went to the Maryland Institute College of Art uh, for a few semesters, but I did not finish. I ended up dropping out. Um, but college dropout. College dropout. Actually, two-time college dropout. I tried to go oh. back, and I ended up leaving again. Right? That's persistence, though. You have a better story than Kanye West. <laughs> oh, oh yeah. Well, hey, I think it. Uh, I think it worked out okay. I think so you're you're, you're very fresh in the industry then, and you've yes. probably had, given the given the company you work for is big you probably had quite an quite the exposure to maybe legacy practices and people doing stuff a really certain way and i'll, I'll be curious to understand how you've had to adapt your semi-trained uh, skill set to fit into a really corporate culture yeah for sure uh so I'm, I'm lucky in a way that the group that i'm a part of uh, we're actually sort of under cbre we're sort of our own little subgroup uh, called cbre dev uh, so we're pretty much sectioned off from all the rest of CBRE, which helps as far as that stuff goes. So we don't have as many corporate uh, things kind of bearing down on us. However, there have been a few things that I've been like, I mean, it just comes with working with a bunch of people for the first time. Uh, because yep. I've, I've done an internship uh, before, back, you know, before I graduated high school, but that was at a very small company in uh, Athens, Georgia. So it's a bit of a different environment <laughs> and working with developers, um, who are actually producing what you're designing instead of just designing things for, you know, for classwork or for yourself. It definitely mm -hmm. def brings a different tone to it. So I'd say that's the biggest difference for me as far as what I've learned. I don't know if it's necessarily specifically CBRE related, uh, but yeah. Well, it's always good to work on projects that are actually real in an internship. Yeah. It's, uh, I think a lot of the time people get given the, the lighter work to do. And that can be obviously good because you get to learn about how business works, but for things like portfolio development and anything like that, you really need to be working on with real people on real projects. And it sounds like, it sounds like that's what you had. Oh yeah, uh, for sure. I mean, my first few months, obviously, uh, not to blame them for it because it makes sense. I was very new. They didn't give me super, super exciting things that ended up being built. Uh, I did like some some things for social media and built things for the in for internal team stuff. Um, but recently, I've been building you know major features. Uh, from start to finish, which is something that I don't know if a lot of people in my position of being only in the industry for such a short amount of time would be doing. So I feel very lucky that I have that opportunity. Um, yeah, you've also been working on a style guide, haven't you? Or just design system of description. Yeah. Yeah, so we have uh, some internal design systems, and I also have my own personal design system that I use for everything. Um, and that I found 
an interesting as well just working between my own system versus working collaboratively with a team on one larger system that we all work from when you said first when you said personal design system that sounded like you had this platform for life that you were modularizing your life and designing your life in the system wouldn't that be nice a little bit, a little bit lost there for a second <laughs> sorry we'll carry on yeah 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 so i got a really quick question for you martha um what was one of the biggest things that you think uh surprised you when you first started working with devs because i think that this is it's kind of different for everybody because everybody every team dynamic is a little bit different every uh even bigger you know fortune 100 companies they all kind of work uh, quite a bit different so i'm kind of curious where you were surprised by that like whole relationship between designer and coder yeah so uh it's kind of changed over the time that i've been there um and initially it was a very very small team i think when i started there was maybe 12 people on the team 13 and now there's 40 so the dynamic has definitely changed a lot and initially i was working um, honestly i was working more with my develop or um, my design director rather than uh, the developers directly but i think sure. as time has gone on and as, as they've trusted me more <laughs> uh, as i've shown that i can produce things that are actually usable and functional and still uh, beautiful i think yeah uh, yeah, yeah now i've been able to well i'm sorry go ahead yeah now I've been, now i'm assigned to a specific dev team so we kind of i we all work in different teams and every team has a designer that's assigned to it so i build things for the team but i also assist with any like day-to-day -day questions that they may have yeah yeah it's it's always interesting to me too when i first talk to designers that are kind of coming into the field is they don't realize that they have to do that whole karate kid moment where you're sitting there and you're like just polishing the crap out of this car or, you know, painting this fence and it just sounds so pointless and meaningless. And sometimes <laughs> it is. I don't get yeah. me wrong. There's, I've had those jobs where I've, I've sat there and I've pretty much kind of put in work and, and it was kind of like mean, meaningless work. But then there's other people that are that are very intentional. And so they'll give you tasks where um, they're, they're kind of feeling you out. You know, are you more of an illustrator? Are you more of a app designer? Are you more UX? Are you more UI? Mm -hmm. Depending on what company you're at. So it's, it's really interesting that it's not always, you know, like, oh, we're shipping an app today. It's like this massive celebration, which I think people, you know, going into startups kind of kind of think that, <laughs> that it's just like one ongoing party that you're not going to sit there and have to, you know, push out like, you know, 20, 30 banners, you know, in, in a week sometimes. <sighs> yep. <laughs> Literally have done just that. <laughs> hey, banner design is fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it definitely can be. I mean, it's all designed too. you know, it's like if you look at it from the perspective that, that you're you're going to learn and grow from every single project that you work on, you're, it's, it's never wasted time, you know, like as long as it has to do with with actual design, right, that somebody's not like, hey, you know, you have to design to this exact template and it's basically like a PowerPoint or something. You know, in that case, yeah. that, that might be a little bit limiting. But for the most part, I've found that in most of my jobs, every single time I can kind of pull something out and say, hey, I learned this new shortcut key or, hey, I learned how to set up a grid very quickly or, hey, I learned how to use a different kind of grid this time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's always something you can you can pull from from what you're doing, hopefully, <laughs> that you can use in the future as well. Uh, yeah, no, I think that's a very good point. Mm. Just on the woo, just on that topic of you saying you you're always curious to find and discover new shortcuts and ways of doing things. Do you ever share that information, or is there a, is there a platform where you feel like people should be sharing this information, or is it something you'd? Actually, just keep yourself and uh, dictate your own processes that way. 
You know, that's a great question. Um, I've, I've tried to share it on a few different places. So I, I'm one of those people that forever have started and never finished projects. So I've, I've kind of made it a goal to, to kind of start and finish stuff right now. Um, so this podcast being one of them, this podcast <laughs> being one of them. Yeah. yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, so, so I have tried like websites like share or what was it? Uh, learn a shortcut every day or shortcut every Yeah. That's what it was. Right. I even got a like WordPress template set up. I got it all designed. I got it coded. And then I just like started working on other stuff. So I was like, all right, I don't really have time to share this, you know, shortcut. And then I started sharing it on Instagram, you know, so I could go on there and be like, hey, I kind of learned how to do this crazy new wavy effect in Cinema 4D. And like, here's a really quick tutorial. But the problem with like Instagram is you can't get into the nitty gritty. Um, and mm -hmm. in order to like really get into the nitty gritty, you have to be an influencer, which means you have like 10,000 followers or something. And then you can add you know uh, like a, a quick little teaser video in your Instagram story and then a swipe up to go to the actual tutorial and then you can kind of you know actually consume it but as far as like content and platforms I, I feel like we're, we're really lacking I've tried to use Twitter I feel like I just don't really get a lot of traction and maybe I just I'm using it wrong or maybe I'm not posting enough at the right times I'm not really sure but I've had way more luck with Instagram so like just putting the time into things that are a little bit hotter right now tend to be a little bit better of a return, but long story short, um, I don't think that there's a really great platform that I know of. But how about you, Martha? Do you do you post anywhere all your uh, work? Yeah, so I'm actually currently redoing my entire portfolio, and that's sort of a base level for me, uh, getting my presence online sort of rebooted. Um, but I, I have sort of dabbled with. Uh, with Instagram, um, I feel like when I was doing, I was doing uh, bullet journaling for a short amount of time, and I was posting on Instagram almost every day doing that, and that was getting a lot more traction than I've seen other short little projects that I've picked up getting. So I think that's probably where I would go currently. But again, it's like Luke, like, like Wu said, there's uh, there's definitely some problems as far as going into details on process and actually showing how something got somewhere and teaching things because you don't have that much time to show anything so yeah. Uh, yeah i definitely feel that struggle as well it'd be it'd be cool if we had some way to, to as creatives share that you know and there's things well, like that, skillshare people would yeah yeah i guess a lot of people would point you in the direction of dribble but then dribbles turned into something mm. different to what i guess the outcomes were supposed to be and yeah like you can feel like you could just get lost in it. Yeah, or, it's, or it's just focusing on certain trends or certain looks. Yeah, that's exactly. Produce. It seems like it seems like to do well on dribble, you need to kind of adhere to a specific style, and it. it, it and I definitely see things that uh, go outside of that style on on front page and stuff, but it's pretty rare. Uh, it, I don't know. It's sort of discouraging in some ways, but. Um, you know what my philosophy on this is, and, and you guys can maybe uh, weigh in on this and, and see what you think, but I'm one of those people that I just, I've, I've gotten to the point where I just stopped caring. I don't care. I'm just going to put it out there. If I'm inspired to like help somebody and be like, here's how I made this thing, then I just make it. If uh, I want to like go out and just like 
um, tell people what kind of renderer I'm using or like uh, that it switched over to, to like a, a monthly subscription or something like that versus like the, the crazy like $2,000 that you have to pay normally for them. Like I'll go in and share those things with people and I don't really care if it gets any response from people. Like I, I tend to like really feel myself, myself at those things. Like I don't really like... I, I tend to not like half-ass them, you know, like I'll, I'll yeah. everything I have into them and they tend to turn out better. And because of that, more naturally, people tend to gravitate towards those. If you just like keep putting content out there and you're very unique, like I, I, I feel like the people are bound to come to you. But I'm curious what you guys think about that. Yeah, I mean, I would agree, but there's definitely some things, some factors in there. I think the most important thing is kind of is posting a lot and sort of and posting maybe the right things. Because it seems like uh, maybe maybe it's more important the tags, you know. Maybe that's all it is. Maybe it's the uh, the, the ability for people to find your work as, as the most important aspect of it. Um, but you know, I'm not sure. I, I I would agree that there's definitely things that you can do to make it a lot bigger of a chance to get more people to follow you. But yeah, at the yeah. end of the day, like I, I used to be really involved in the Twitch scene on uh, Twitch.tv uh, <laughs> back before it was actually Twitch. Um, and it's always interesting because I've seen a lot of streamers that stream every day and they stream for five hours every day, but they never get more than five, five viewers at a time or maybe 20, but they never break that you know, barrier, I guess. Yeah, it's real dedication. Oh yeah, it takes it takes persistence. I mean, some people that do that for a year, all of a sudden will become really popular. But there's people yeah. that I know that have been doing it for, you know, four years that still just don't have that much uh, of a following on that website. So, you know, I, I do. what I'm saying is I do agree that you can have a big influence on it as far as what you do, but it does, you know, involve some other aspects as well yeah the point yeah. I, was, I think i was i would probably always hark back to is that you, having a following really doesn't mean very much if you have a passion for the work <laughs> and keep continuing to do what you want to do oh yeah the follow the followers are just a, a byproduct of that and it's about sure. being proud about what you want to do and maybe we don't even need these accounts i have a dribble account i've never posted on it because i'm <laughs> i'm too scared that it's going to get rejected <laughs> it's going to be it's going to get zero likes going to get zero shares whatever i'm too scared to enter that realm oh you gotta do it fail yeah maybe that's something that's what we all need to stop stop avoiding and stop being scared about because uh, that yeah that that limitation can sort of can hinder you more than it helps you i think at the you end of the day today you're gonna take a dribble shot and you're gonna post it and you're gonna like it <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. The, the whole celebritization of designers is, is something I feel very strongly about. And yeah, I, it's so it's strange. It's difficult to not want to get involved. I'm, I'm a heavy Twitter user. Sure. Yeah. And I I use it because I get new 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 contacts. My network expands. Uh, I get inspiration from it. I find comedy on it. Um, mm -hmm. But at the same time, I don't know whether I'm using it to also build my own profile. I think I am. I don't know. Sure. <laughs> so Add another channel to that list of things you need to sustain. It feels yeah. like a nightmare waiting to happen. Yeah, it's absolutely so hard to, to balance all that stuff. In fact, I was talking to uh, one of the guys in our chat, um, which is uniteddesigners.chat. If you guys go to that, uh, www.uniteddesigners.chat, uh, we kind of all just like hang out there and we... we kind of chit chat we critique each other's work we post inspirational work stuff like that but um one of the guys in the chat we were talking about specifically um 
Uh, oh my gosh, I lost my train of thought. I was thinking about the chat. Um, well, that's how you two met, isn't it, on that chat? Yeah, yeah, yeah that's how we all met. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, so <clears throat> I think I came in like a year ago or something like that, and Martha was in there for probably a year before me, right? Yeah, I've been there maybe a few year and a half. I've been there for longer than my current job, which is kind of fun. Um, <laughs> sure, sure. Yeah. You should be getting paid for it. <laughs> <laughs> so remember what I was talking about. So we were talking about automating these posts um, mm -hmm. to all the different things. So oh, yeah. one of my problems is that I start consistently posting on one medium, and then I, I never end up posting to all of them. So I was thinking about what I could do, and I, I thought about the... Um, if this, then that kind of thing that he was doing along with the other one that ended up being, uh, ended up costing money. Um, but I was thinking about- safe here, wasn't it? Yeah, 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 yep, that's what it was. Yeah, and I thought about using it, but I was just like, one, um, I think you take a hit if you do it through automated services, which is not great, but if it can get you to post stuff on places that you don't normally post and you like that kind of stuff, <clears throat> I think it makes sense to do it that way. Um, but my problem is that I like, I just don't have the time sometimes to just post stuff. I have work from like, you know, two years ago that I've never even posted and like pretty decently big jobs. I just don't have the time to post on Instagram or like all these different places. So mm -hmm. it can definitely be really tricky to, to find the time to be able to post that and to post it in a meaningful way. Speaking of which, I want to throw it back to what we were talking about earlier. I think that this is super duper interesting. And I think that this is a super hard question. You guys were talking about um, just doing the things that you love. If you guys, if money was not an option, like somebody was just like, you could live off of this, you could live comfortably, whatever life you wanted to do. What thing would you guys do? Uh, I mean, for me, uh, for why I chose what I do now and why I've been interested in this since I was 12. Like I've been, I learned Photoshop when I was uh, that age just doing really silly online tutorials so design specifically or just art yeah design specifically but uh, i used to design posters for you know events around my school and i used to design you know i used to there used to be this little thing online where you you would go and generate uh, an album title from a wikipedia article an album or like an artist name from another thing and an image from Flickr or something mm -hmm. and you would have to put it together to make an album art out of it that was cohesive uh, and i used to just do that for fun and it came out with some really silly ones but i would love to see these Oh God! Max yeah, you gotta dig this up. Twelve-year-old masters Oh Lord! Yeah, so that's that was fun. But uh, yeah, no, I feel like doing things like that has been has been extraordinarily helpful. Sure. I'm sorry, I don't really remember your question. I, I got kind of sidetracked thinking about no, that. That's okay. But like, what specifically do you love about what you oh, do? Like, right. like for, for me, for example, recently I've, I've found that like helping others is really awesome. Like being able to give back to other people. And I'm doing that through like mentoring people specifically right now. I want to like expand it a little bit further, but that's been my like drive is like to do that. Plus like someday open a dojo or something. But <laughs> <laughs> that one's super crazy and far out there but like what what like deeper thing kind of drives you to do what you do i think it's uh being able to make something every day um so that that to me has i know it's hashtag deep but uh <laughs> no, being no, able great. to to know that you're contributing to the world in some way or another um and i feel like the, the thing that humans can do for that the most in my opinion is to create so um, whether that's creating art creating buildings uh you know creating written work 
Um, and I feel like creating design, there's just so many elements to it that make it a really interesting thing to create. Yeah. I'd like to touch on something you just said about sure. des designers giving back to the world. It's something I've been thinking a lot about recently in that if, you, if we treat our practice as that, then do we not end up having to judge how valuable your design is uh, compared to someone working at a charity, for example? Are they doing better design work because they're helping more people than someone who works at a bank, for instance? How do you, how do you feel about that as a dilemma? I think it entirely depends on what your definition of better is. Yeah. I think if it's better, if, it, if they're helping the world in a more significant way, I feel like definitely. But it's also like, do you, you know, from a, just a visual standpoint, you know, I guess it's a question like, does a building that holds uh, an elementary school that's been around for 70 years that needs to be renovated, is that building somehow better than like, you know, a beautiful architectural piece that only holds one family? Um, you know, which is a better design, right? Uh, the one that actually is useful and functional and helps society, or the one that is aesthetically and really, or aesthetically beautiful and really thought out and really intricate. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just wondering whether, with with our inherent nature of wanting to solve problems and help people, should we be always be focusing on challenge, channeling that to uh, do gooding, or should we be conscious that we need to we need to earn a living and we can go and get a job that doesn't necessarily affect people in a positive way, but like uh, designing for gambling, for example, mm. that's, that's for me is a dichotomy in that you're, you're producing work that helps people, but can also not help people. If you see what I mean? Yeah. I don't, I feel like I'm morally, I don't know if I, I would be okay with doing that, but I also have fairly strong convictions. <laughs> uh, so, uh, yeah, I mean, what I do now isn't exactly, I think what I do is helpful for the people that I, I do it for, but it's not exactly a broad thing that helps a lot of people. So, um, and that's actually something I think about, you know, is there something I could be doing that would be more helpful? But then again, there's that other side of me that's like, well, am I at my stage in my career? I'm really lucky to be where I am and I should stay here for a little bit longer and I should focus on that. So yeah, no, I feel, I yeah. definitely feel like that's, that's a struggle that a lot of designers probably yeah. feel. Back, back to your question, Wu, is my, my response would be that design allows me to look at life generally in a different way in that I approach every single challenge in life from a design point of view and how can I manage that problem and how can I get a solution from that. And it, it, I hate the word empathy, but um, us doing what we do allows us to look at things in a certain way and come up with creative solutions to problems that some people probably wouldn't be able to do because they think in a different way. Hmm. Why do you hate the word empathy? Because it's a buzzword at the moment. Uh, and everyone's <laughs> talking about it. Sure, sure. I, th I think that it can be good, but yeah, I definitely agree that it can be kind of overused or misunderstood and used in a way that's yeah. kind of like ammo versus, you know, more of a active glass, I guess. <laughs> uh, I, I feel like I'm probably guilty of using it as ammo. Talking mm. to developers sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we love well, uh, Yeah, because I also think that everybody should be empathetic. That's the problem. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and like, I, at the end of the day... <laughs> We, we all want to make sure, or my goal is to make sure that the app is the best it can possibly be, or what we work on is the best it can possibly be. Um, mm -hmm. So if I have to kind of 
uh, weasel my way through a developer to get it to be where I think and other designers on my team and project managers think it should be, then I will do that. <laughs> no. yeah, I wonder if we should switch the conversation up a little bit to talk about um, yeah. your passions. Uh, the way that we brought this discussion up recently was that you were really keen to have a discussion about uh, colors and how yeah. you approach color as a theory and a practice. And I don't know how you'd want to shape that conversation, but there's a lot we can talk about. Um, yeah, a lot we yeah. can go into. That was actually literally, I was just about to say the exact same thing. So I'm glad we're on the same wavelength. Um, <clears throat> but one thing that I'm really curious about, um, I love using certain kinds of uh, tools like Cooler to be able to see colors better because I'm pretty sure that I'm colorblind in a certain spectrum, like purples and blues don't really make any sense to me. And it's really mm -hmm. hard to tell the difference. <clears throat> so I use Cooler specifically because I know that that's like a crutch of mine. So I'll use that tool. So I'm curious, Martha, if you have any things like that, like you use a certain tool to create color palettes because you know it like helps you to do this thing or it helps you to do this other thing yeah so my history with color is uh, fairly long I used to do there's you know what the website color lovers mm -hmm. uh, that I used to be on I used to be on the, in high school classes all the time um, I think I've made <laughs> I've made almost a thousand palettes on that website I think literally it's like 940 something um, so that I feel like is a brute force way of getting it so you don't really need to learn uh, any other tools because you just kind of get a really good hang of, of how to put colors together um, and at this stage what I do typically is I'll uh, I'll pull it into Illustrator or uh, Figma or you could do sketch whatever um, and I'll usually come up with a few base colors and then do tones based on that color um, and you know I'll think of some basic elements like okay if I want to do a blue primary color I should probably do an orange accent color because of the complementary colors um, you know and you can just build based on that but I feel like if you need uh, something to start off of um, more so than looking up other color palettes but making grabbing inspiration from nature or grabbing inspiration from photos that you think are really stunning or have a lot of contrast that you want to capture um and then I just um, grabbing from those your, yeah. you, you said that you so you've mentioned two very specific things there in that you mm -hmm. you get your colors and then you sort of get uh, different variations of those and then you also mentioned things about complementary colors do you do you treat color as a science or do you also I, just get a feel as well um, I think the science of it does help you get the feel. Uh, I think they're both, they're, they're kind of interchangeable. Um, I feel like, yeah, the, I, I guess then it's the science of it, but I feel like the science of it dictates how it feels. Um, so like if you wanted to do something with a more cool tone, um, then you would use more of a cool tone, or I guess more of a, uh, if you wanted more of a clean look, something a little bit more uh, modern, then you could probably go for more of a cool tone and you could use that for your gray tone and use that for your tonality if you needed to do lighter colors or darker colors. Uh, but then again, you can do something more warm if you need something more homey or if it's something, you know, a little bit more grounded, then you can do, you know, and you can just start from there. And I think, and I'm not sure if the, the science of, of how humans perceive warm light versus cool light, I'm not sure. I'm pretty sure there's a science to that. And I, I know that people work under uh, cooler light better. Um, but yeah, I think there's a science to it, and I feel like if you if you take that into consideration when you're building applications or building websites, thinking about what well, who's it for, what what's the purpose of this website, and then choosing your color palette based on that, um, is definitely very helpful. You, you clearly have a lot of expertise in the field. So <laughs> 
it would be the the way I'm trying to shape this is what what advice would you give to someone who doesn't have that information yet, and how sure. how do how do they get to the point where you, they immediately know, hey, I want this to feel like this, and I need to use these colors to get to that point. Sure. Uh, again, I, w I would look at a lot of uh, things like pictures and things like um, think about movies that you really like that get a tone across in a certain scene and just pause it on that scene and look at it. And why do you feel that way looking at that thing? What colors are on the screen that are making you feel that way? Um, or, you know, again, if you get pictures that you really think are stunning or um, even other work that you think you're like, oh, I see that Facebook uses a blue color palette, you know, dig into that and ask and see why um, and again I feel like uh, going through things like color lovers or things like cooler does help you a lot because you can sift through a lot of color palettes and then you can just see until you find something that kind of matches the tonality of what you're going for and then do you have to feel like you give people this advice at work the way I always think, think about color and things like that is when people give you a presentation to work on, for example, that's the first instance you can see when a, when a non-designer has approached a design problem. And the colors will be all over the place. There'll be like fluorescent yellows and greens and stuff. Mm -hmm. Do you do you feel that you need to be educating people who aren't designers about how to approach this problem? Um, I mean, maybe somewhat. Uh, I feel like it's something that I try not to talk about too much because I'm not sure if too many people are super interested in, <laughs> in the science of color theory. Uh, yeah. But I mean, I have a tattoo on my arm of RGB uh, kind of overlapping. So uh, it is something that's really important to me. And I am, I am open, especially at work, to try to talk about it. Um, I've done a presentation recently, actually, a, a couple months ago, about design and art. It's just really short kind of part of a presentation. but. You know, I, I try to at least make it come across that the color is important. So I feel like if I can, if I can get that point across um, to the developers that it is important, the colors that you choose and that that can make a huge difference, then I feel like at least they'll pay more attention to the colors that they use. Um, so I think that's probably the best way to go about it if you're working with like a team of developers. Yeah, one of the things that I think we always come back to and have to have really hammer home is the accessibility of color. Yes. Just this week, just this week, I've been redesigning forms so that they use like the the lowest grayscale, for example. Mm -hmm. That's something that is up to us to educate, but also something we need to be consistently doing to make sure it gets gets through. Yes, definitely. Um, just making sure people are aware. Even I feel like that's a big thing that people just aren't aware that color can make such a difference as far as somebody who maybe is a little bit visually impaired or colorblind in specific ways. Um, and that can really prevent a pretty big part of the audience from using the website or it can cause a lot of frustration. Uh, so I think going into it, starting out knowing that you need to make things accessible um, or having a good base level of how accessible you want to be or what target audience you're and, looking for and now right now you have to be like super duper careful because uh my girlfriend's dad actually got sued recently for having a site that wasn't accessible i mean most of it i was looking at it like it had all tags it had all this stuff so it had to have been something like crazy obscure so stuff like this is becoming more and more important and i don't think people mm -hmm. realize like how much trouble you can get in you know if your site is like making a lot of money and you're you know not 100 percent accessible i don't know mm -hmm. about colors that's actually a really good question um there's another guy in our chat that knows more about accessibility so i'd be curious if you can get in trouble with colors specifically i know you can with i'm account. sure 
I yeah. think you can because there's a there's definitely standards as far as double A AA or triple A accessibility mm. that uh, you have to get through as far as contrast goes between colors. Uh, I know that triple A is definitely a, I think it's triple A. It's a lot more difficult to do, and that's mostly government websites that do that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Mm. But double A is still something you need to consider, uh, in my opinion, um, yeah. building most things. Even like my portfolio, as I've been building it, I've been making sure that all the colors are accessible. So I got a question for you guys. One last question, and then I think that we have to wrap this up. Um, and I think this is a fun one. <laughs> what thing about color just like pisses you off that like makes your blood boil? You're like, man, every time this comes up, it makes me want to flip desks. I have a really weird one. So, uh, red and green are complementary colors. Sure. But they're also Christmas colors. <laughs> yeah. So I feel like you can't use red and green and make it not look somewhat Christmassy. Like, it's really difficult, and that pisses me off. I wish I could use red and green <laughs> without it looking like damn Christmas. Anyway, that's, I could, yeah, I get triggered by that. That's a good anyway. one. That's a good one. <laughs> oh, that gets me. <laughs> what about you, Louis? Um, for me, it's generally that the colors go in trends, like everything else, and mm -hmm. you, f you feel that you have to follow a certain pattern that's, that's popular at the moment. And there's, there's the mindset of, I really don't need to be doing this. I can, I can design it how I want. It's, it's, my, it's my product. But then you, you slip into the, in, I'm going to go check out, get some inspiration for this thing, and you mm -hmm. always end up doing making it look the same. Yeah, yeah. How about you? That's a, that's a broader problem. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's very true. Um, as far as me with colors, I think in general, like, I always think that I'm being, like, super innovative. I'm like, yeah, I'm using all these colors and this and that. And then I'll get this, like, brilliant layout. I'm like, nobody's ever used this color before. I feel so awesome. And literally, like, 10 minutes later, I'll be on, like, Behance or on Dribble or something. And there'll be, like, 14 pieces with this exact color palette. And I'm like, who uses green and purple? Like, who does that? Apparently everybody. We all had, like, the same idea. <laughs> so that's that's mine for me. Oh yeah, no, Maybe I guess that's that reassuring. Too. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, that's actually I we use that in our app too, so that's a good okay. color. Steve. <laughs> Well, I want to thank you, Martha, so much for uh, coming on the podcast and yeah, your experience and telling us about your design life, about all your love of colors, all that good stuff. And, and Louis, of course, uh, he's uh, on the other side. He's also the host with the most and not on the West Coast. I don't know. I'm, I'm so bad at alliteration. I'm so I think you need to stop. <laughs> yep, and with that, we are calling it done. All right, thanks, thanks guys. guys. I appreciate it. <laughs> All right, thanks so much for listening, guys. I hope you enjoyed that one. We just wanted to ask you one quick favor. We work crazy hard to bring the guests on and all the work that goes with it. We only ask you two things. The first one, if you aren't already subscribed, please hit that subscribe button. Whatever platform you're using, we're pretty much on all the platforms. And second is to just share it with somebody you think would enjoy it. That's all. It would mean so much to us. Thanks, everybody. Peace.